Good morning and welcome to Fortifying Your Faith, uh, where we seek to uh, grow spiritually and encourage one another uh, in the Word of God. Uh, I'm Haston Hanley, and with me, as always, uh, is Ren Ferguson. Uh, we are so glad you could be with us today and tune in and uh, listen to this important topic about talking about uh, alcohol and alcohol as it relates to the Christian and any person that really seeks to follow the Word of God. I would like to go ahead and tell you that if uh, you would like to get in touch with Ren or myself, you can send us an email. You can send that to fortifyingyourfaith at gmail.com. We would love to hear from you. You can also reach us at twitter.com. Uh, I, or, I don't know why I said that. You can find us on Twitter. Uh, <laughs> Um, you can look us up at fortifying your faith and we would love to hear from you and we would love to, uh, talk with you. If you have anything that you would like to let us know. Also, if you know either one of us, just reach out to us personally. Uh, that's probably honestly the best way to get a hold of us because I'll be honest, I forget we have an email until every time we start recording and I just say it. Yeah. I always forget that we have an email and a Twitter account. Yeah, I, I check the Twitter every now and then just because I'll see notifications. And then it's like, did you see that so-and-so tweeted this? And I was like, uh, okay, tell me when something important happens. Not that anybody that we follow tweet, uh, their tweets aren't important, but, you know, whatever. Mm. Uh, eh, yeah, it's arguable. <laughs> Anyway, uh, you can find us there. You can reach Getting out to topic. us. Yeah, you can reach out to us anyway uh, that you have uh, a connection to us. But as I mentioned a few minutes ago, we're going to be talking about a topic that it's a, a topic that a lot of Christians don't want to talk about because, well, some Christians don't want to talk about it because they don't want their toes stepped on. They don't want us to tell them how to live their lives. And yet, uh, it's something that needs to be talked about because in the world today, alcohol and alcoholism and being an alcoholic is running rampant. And it, in most places, uh, is actually in the church. And when I say most places, I mean in general. Not every single congregation has somebody that's out there drinking. But there are places in the brotherhood and and people that think it's okay to go out and drink every now and then or socially. And they use passages like we'll talk about today with Jesus turning water into wine. And uh, isolated incidences like that and using the word wine to say, that it's okay to drink alcohol when really and truly that is not the case at all. We have instances in the Old Testament and the New Testament forbidding it straight out. And we have uh, clarification like Ren's going to give about uh, Jesus turning water into wine. And I want us to think about this really and truly in the sense that it's not Wren saying this. It's not Haston saying this. It's God's inspired word saying that we should abstain from all of this, stay as far away as we can from 
these things. Uh, so, Ren, would you like to go ahead and start uh, with your uh, point or two? Uh, yeah, I don't know if it's just going to be two. I don't know how many points this is going to end up being, but yeah, yeah we'll try. Start uh, out for for a few minutes and then I'll cut in. <laughs> okay. If I go too long, just interrupt me. I will. Uh, but yeah, I, like you like you talked about, um, one of the first, I mean, it's like, if you've ever had a discussion with somebody that thinks that drinking alcohol is okay, this is probably the first thing that is going to come out of their mouth. Well, Jesus turned water into wine. Okay. Well, what they're talking about is in John chapter 2, verses 1 through 12. And uh, I'm just going to read this, and then we're going to kind of go back through and look at some different details and uh, some different things that I've studied recently, heard recently. They're really interesting, and they give us a good answer for this. And, and maybe, perhaps, maybe you're in that boat as well. Maybe you think that that social drinking is all right, that uh, every, having a, a beer every now and then is something that is acceptable and that it's not really that big of a deal. And perhaps maybe this is an argument that you use in order to support that. Well, let's look at uh, John chapter two, verses one through 12 and see if that's really what is happening here in, during this event with Christ. So he says there beginning in verse one, on the third day, there was a wedding in Cana of Galilee and the mother of Jesus was there. Now both Jesus and his disciples were invited to the wedding and when they ran out of wine, the mother of Jesus said to him, they have no wine. Jesus said to her, woman, what does your concern have to do with me? My hour has not yet come. His mother said to the servants, whatever he says to you, do it. Now there were set there six water pots of stone, according to the manner of purification of the Jews, contained 20 or 30 gallons apiece. Jesus said to them, fill the water pots with water. And they filled them up to the brim. And he said to them, draw some out now and take it to the master of the feast. And they took it. When the master of the feast had tasted the water that was made wine, he did not know where it came from. But the servants who had drawn the water knew, and the master of the feast called the bridegroom. And he said to him, every man at the beginning sets out the good wine. And when the guests have well drunk, then the inferior. You have kept the good wine until now. This beginning of signs Jesus did in Cana of Galilee and manifested his glory and his disciples believed in him. After this, he went down to Capernaum, he, his mother, his brothers, and his disciples, and they did not stay there many days. Okay, so again, this is usually the go-to argument of social drinking that, again, like I mentioned, having a beer every now and then is all right. It's not that big of a deal, so long as you don't get drunk. And uh, most people will probably uh, stop at verse three, where it says that they ran out of wine and the mother of Jesus said to him there, they have no wine. And then as it talks about, uh, I mean, it's, it's made very clear that this water was turned in into wine. And so people, once again, they say, well, Jesus turned water into wine. It's okay for me to have a little bit. Well, the thing is, is you have to be careful. Of, and this is something that's true, not just of this particular word, but it's true of a lot of different words uh, in the New Testament. Our English language kind of misses, misses the mark, I guess you could say, a little bit with some of these words. Because the New Testament scriptures were written in something called Koine Greek, which was the common Greek language 
And if you study that language, if you are familiar with it at all, if you've done any type of word study um, of the New Testament, you'll see that they, they had several different words for our one English word, like with love. I think we talked about, I think I mentioned this a couple of weeks ago, maybe last week. We have the one English word love, but they had four different words that they used to describe love. The same thing is true here of wine. There's two different words that are used in the New Testament that talk about wine. Uh, one of them is oinos, which is the word that's being used here. And it's the word that's used most often. Um, it can refer to alcoholic or non-alcoholic wine. Um, it kind of depends on the context of, of what you're looking at to determine whether or not it's alcoholic or non-alcoholic. There is another word that's used in Acts chapter 2, and it's only used one time, and that word is glucose. And the context of that word demands that the interpretation of it would be alcoholic wine. But either way, there are these two words. Oinos is being used here. It's one of those words that can go either way, either alcoholic or non-alcoholic. It just depends on how it is being used. It's important to remember that the scriptures do, in fact, use the word wine when it is undoubtedly in reference to non-alcoholic beverages. I'll take you to an example of this in Isaiah 65 and verse 8. Isaiah 65 and verse 8. It says, Thus says the Lord, as the new wine is found in the cluster, and one says, Do not destroy it, for, for a blessing is in it. There he says the new wine is in the cluster. Well, if it's in the cluster, what is it? It's a grape. It's not alcoholic. It hasn't been fermented. Nothing has been done to it. I mean, the grape hasn't even been juiced yet, but it's still referring to it as wine. There's another example in Isaiah. Uh, it's chapter, I believe it's 16 and verse 10, where he says, Gladness is taken away and joy from the plentiful field and the vineyards. There will be no singing, nor will there be shouting. No treaders will tread out wine in the presses. So there it talks about wine in the presses. At that point, it's still non-alcoholic. It, it hasn't reached that, uh, that process of fermentation because it's still in the presses. They're still, as we would call it, as we would say, juicing the grapes, getting that juice out of the grape. And so the, the scriptures use the word wine both in reference to alcoholic and non-alcoholic wine. What we would call grape juice is how it refers uh, is, is the word that is used wine. And so it really depends on the context of, of what's going on, depends on um, the situation, depends on how it's being used. Again, the context, the events surrounding it in order for us to, to determine which, which one it is. And there's a couple of other things. If you go back to John chapter two, there's a couple of other things to consider. Um, First of all, if you look at verse 6, it says that there were these water pots that contained 20 to 30 gallons apiece. If you do the math, that's anywhere between, I think it's 120 to 180 gallons. So, okay, I think most people, most Christians would, would agree that it is a sin to get drunk because passages like Ephesians 5 and verse 18 say that, I mean, it's just outright, it's a sin not given to excess of wine. Don't be drunk. 
with an excess of wine. I mean, there's so many different passages. I know you're going to bring out some things like that too, Haston. But I don't think I don't think any Christian would argue that it's okay to be drunk. Well, let's just think about this from a logical standpoint. If you had 120 to 180 gallons of alcohol, how, how could you not just, how could you not be drunk? That's my question. How is that even possible? Well, you have all these people. Oh, go ahead. Uh, not only that, but they ran out of that much wine. I mean, the good wine, the non-alcoholic, it seems. Uh, at the beginning, but uh, whatever. Anyway, right. the good wine, they ran out of it. They were completely out. So how many other barrels had they gone through? Exactly. And that's the other thing that I was about to mention. The fact is they had already had 120 to 180 gallons of this stuff. I don't know how many people were at this at this wedding, but I know that it does not take that much to get a group of people drunk. I've never been drunk in my life, but I know for a fact that it does not require that much. And like what Hasten pointed out is they had already gone through all of that much. They had completely run out. Another thing that I think about is the fact um, there in verse 9, it says, When the master of the feast had tasted the water that was made wine and did not know where it came from, but the servants who had drawn the water knew the master of the feast called the bridegroom and said to him, Every man at the beginning sets out the good wine. And when the guests have well drunk, then the inferior. You have kept the good wine until now. Let me ask you another question. Again, I've never been drunk. I have seen drunk people at uh, sporting events and things of that nature. Do you really think that someone who has been participating in an event where they have consumed 180 gallons of alcohol would be able to tell the difference in flavor between a good beer and a bad beer. I mean, again, I've never been drunk a day in my life, but that doesn't make any sense as to how he would have the cognitive ability to, to discern between something that tastes good and something that tastes bad. Because one of the things the, that alcohol does is it basically deadens your senses, every single one of them, all of your mental capabilities, your hand-eye coordination, your, your balance, your stability, even like your nerves, like you don't feel pain nearly as much. I mean, it, it just kills everything. So how could this guy, how could the master of the feast uh, be able to tell the difference between good and bad wine? To me, that just doesn't make any logical sense at all. But then the other thing, and I've learned this, some of y'all may have seen this video on GBN's uh, Facebook page, but they did a video about this very thing. And one of the things that was brought up, which I had never heard before, if you look at what he says there uh, in verse 10, every man at the beginning sets out the good wine. There is something so interesting about this. And again, I, I had never really noticed this or, or studied this. But if you look at historical records of what good wine means, it was never intoxicating. Uh, let me... I'll give you an example. There was an Old Testament historian, Pliny. I think we've talked about him before uh, with different podcasts. I can't remember exactly which one, but uh, he was a historian. Um, and he said that good wine is destitute of spirit. So this phrase that this master of the feast uses, the good wine, Pliny says, historically speaking, it was destitute of spirit, a.k.a. it was non-alcoholic. 
that's how they use the phrase good wine. So when you think about it, just from a purely logical standpoint, first of all, you have to realize that wine can be used both in reference to alcoholic and non-alcoholic juice. So just the fact that it says the word wine doesn't mean that it was alcoholic. Exactly. Second of all, you have to consider the amount of alcohol, so-called alcohol wine that they were consuming. And when you think about the amount that they were consuming, the events that transpired, uh, the master of the feast, his ability, I mean, he was still there mentally. He was able to discern between good wine and, and bad wine or inferior, as he says in verse 10. He still had all of his cognitive abilities. So certainly he was not drunk because he was still aware of what was going on around him. And thirdly, the fact that the term good wine, historically speaking, was never used in reference to alcohol. It was always used in reference to non-alcoholic so-called grape juice. Uh, there, there were a couple of other quotes in that, that video from GBM. I'm kind of piggybacking off of them right now, but uh, there's another historian called Horace. Uh, he said that there is no wine sweeter to drink than that of Lesbos. It was like nectar and would not produce intoxication. Aristotle said something very similar. He said, good wine does not intoxicate. So we have all of these historians, and those certainly aren't the only ones, but we have all of these historians that lived in or near the first century or even a couple hundred years. I believe Aristotle, keep hitting the mic with my headphones. Uh, <laughs> Uh, I believe Aristotle, he lived in the 300 AD area. So even a couple hundred years uh, later, that term good wine was still never used in reference to intoxicating wine. And so whenever you think about this passage in John 2 verses 1 through 12, even from a logical standpoint, first of all, it doesn't make any sense that this would be alcoholic. And when you begin to look at the words themselves, whether it be wine or whether it be the phrase good wine, it's yet again, it doesn't hold up that it would have been alcoholic wine. And so, uh, yeah, again, that's the, that's the main argument. Oh, go ahead. Yeah, I was just going to say, and to add on top of that, I mean, I know uh, alcohol can actually kill people, like with alcohol poisoning and stuff like that. Do you know how many people you could kill with 240 to 360 at least gallons of alcohol just by drinking it? That is nothing that the one who is considered the spotless sacrifice, the one who lived a sinlessly perfect life, that's not what Christ would have done. And when we consider that, I mean, we're effectively considering him for manslaughter if nothing else which we know is wrong exactly and that was another thing that was pointed out in that video that gbn did uh the fact is as you you can look at it james james chapter one around verse 13 where it says uh let no man say when he is tempted i am tempted of god for god cannot be tempted with evil neither tempteth he any man james tells us god does not tempt us to sin he does not do that. He himself isn't tempted, but he does not tempt anyone to sin. And you think about what Jesus is doing here. We know beyond a shadow of a doubt that it's the sin to get drunk. 
Right. But you think about the stumbling stone that Christ would be setting in front of these people if it was alcoholic wine. Exactly. He would, he would be tempting them to sin. He would be like, okay, here's all this wine, but just don't get drunk. That doesn't make any sense at all. None whatsoever. That's like telling someone uh, who is known for gluttony like they were back in the Roman times, here's this huge feast. Now don't overeat. Or uh, the uh, servants and prophets of Diana who were known to worship Diana through committing sexual acts. That's like saying, here's all of these people. Now don't commit fornication. That's not what it is. It's just so many people try and put their own ideas and put their own wants into something that they just decide that they're going to make anything say whatever. To continue with James chapter 1 and verse 13, talking about how God does not tempt any man, we look at the next verse, verse 14. It says, but every man is tempted when he is drawn away of his own lust and enticed. So the temptation is not from God, but rather when we turn our sights away from God and start walking in that direction. So the Lord will have had no part in any of this if it was alcoholic wine. Now, just to continue uh, on this train of thoughts about alcohol being wrong, we've talked about it as a, a staple thought several times, but let's look at just a couple examples really quickly. Um, Genesis chapter 9, verses 22 and 23. This is right after the flood, right after Noah and his children are off the ark. We find something. Uh, uh, let's see, we'll back up to verse 20. Genesis chapter 9 and verse 20, we find uh, Noah sinning. There's really no other way about it. Uh, Noah, it says in verse 20, began to be a husbandman and planted a vineyard. Now, there is nothing wrong with a vineyard in and of itself. It is literally just a place to grow grapes. Now, as a grape lover, I'm okay with that. In fact, you were talking about some of the historians talking about how great some of their grape juice was that was, you know, non-alcoholic. Yeah, right. That sounded amazing to me. Yeah, he said it was like a, I think it was Horace, he said it was like a sweet nectar. Yeah, I mean, that just sounds amazing. But we find in verse 21 of Genesis 9, and he drank, that being Noah, the wine, or of the wine, and was drunken. And he was uncovered within his tent. Now, we find that he sinned and that he willingly made alcoholic wine. We see that Noah sinned in the fact that he was drunken with alcoholic wine. But we find later uh, in verse 22 that Ham, uh, the father of Canaan, saw the nakedness of his father and went out and told his two brothers. And they, uh, I assume, Ham just thought it was funny and thought he would go tell his brothers, but uh, Shem and Japheth uh, took a garment and covered up their father. Now we find Ham was, uh, uh, well, uh, 
punished. That's the word I was looking for, uh, for uh, pretty much doing this. But we also find that Noah sinned. We look at Genesis chapter 19, verses uh, 32 through 35, right after the destruction of Sodom and Gomorrah. We find Lot and his two daughters. His two daughters had never known a man. They were virgins. They uh, were afraid that, well, their father's bloodline would not continue. So what did they do so that they could have that bloodline continued? They sinned, and Lot sinned just as much in this. Because they got him drunk with wine. Not only one night, but two. And it says that the uh, his daughters laid with him one night and the other the next. And we find sin all wrapped up around these instances of getting drunk. Now, we find passages in the New Testament that talk about being sober being serious, having all of your wits about you. And we have that same idea with alcohol. Now, I've talked to a lot of people who have struggled with this throughout my life. A lot of people who say that they don't struggle with it are lying. And uh, I mean that as in people who drink and say uh, that they, it doesn't affect them. But I say that to say this, after the first beer, your senses automatically start dulling. After the second one, even more so, until eventually you are drunk. The problem is, after the first one, you've already lost your part of your senses, so you are no more of a keen mind, of a clear mind, and yet we find the drunker you get, the more sin snowballs. Mm-hmm. And I'm, uh, I know it's crazy, but one of my favorite things to look at are uh, men in Florida arrested for articles. <laughs> uh, I love those. I don't know why. They're so stupid. I just don't know how someone can be that stupid. And then you look into it, and it usually says that they were intoxicated. Bad decisions end up making more bad decisions, end up making even more bad decisions. If Lot was not drunk from his daughters, he would not have slept with his daughters. If Noah was not drunk, he wouldn't have been passed out in his tent without any clothes on. Well, I don't think so, unless he just naturally slept that way. But we still find that bad decisions grow around bad decisions. And uh, turn uh, in your Bibles to Proverbs chapter 20 and verse 1. Ren, did you have something to say? I was, I was, that was what I was about to say. So yeah. you can go ahead. And I mean, this is as clear as you can get. The wise man Solomon and literally the given miraculous wisdom said, Wine is a mocker and strong drink is raging. And whoever deceived thereby is not wise. Solomon is saying, you are stupid if you think that you can drink alcohol and be fine. He says, wine or strong drink is raging, brings forth anger and all of these terrible things, and wine is just making fun of you. And if you think that you can control it, if you think that 
there's wisdom in this. If you think that you are smart and civilized for sitting there and uh, drinking alcohol with some of your more uh, socially high-standing friends, Solomon says, you're not wise. You're not smart. You're kind of dumb. Right. And the thing is, is like with, with almost any other sin, we understand how important it is to not even begin to let it get a foothold in our life. Uh, I mean, I think about what Christ says in, in the Sermon on the Mount, I believe is one place that it is recorded. I know in the other gospel accounts, it's recorded as well, where he discusses the fact that, that it's better for us to enter into heaven with one eye than it is to have both eyes seeing in hell. And he uses different examples to pluck out our eye, to cut off our hand, to cut off our foot. I mean, his point is, is don't allow any room for the flesh. Don't give it, don't give it an inch because it's going to take a mile. But for some reason, whenever we come to alcohol, it's like that, that way of thinking is just completely thrown out the window. Right. Uh, because we know there's no moral gray area for lying. Either you're lying or you're not. Right. We know that with fornication, you're either fornicating or you're not. We know with uh, murder, you either killed someone or you didn't. I mean, they're flat out light and dark. Right. If you have problems with with gambling, don't go to a casino. Exactly. And with drinking, everyone's like, well, I know being drunk is wrong. So I'll just have one or two and learn my limits so that way I can stay right at the edge yeah. of that gray area. That's not right. what we should do. In fact, First uh, Thessalonians chapter 5 and verse 22, abstain from all appearances of evil. I mean, if you have someone coming up to you and you know that you have a five drink limit before you're technically considered by the law drunk, which I know that's like a ridiculously high limit, but still. If you see someone sitting in a bar that you know is a Christian and they're just sitting there drinking, what's that going to do for the person that sees them? What's that going to do for the influence of the person that's at the bar drinking? What is all of that going to do as a Christian? We should abstain from every bit of it. There shouldn't be that gray area. Right. And there's two other New Testament examples. These two have always been like, for as long as I can remember, these two have always been like my go-to verses to discuss uh, alcohol with people. And the first one is Ephesians 5 and verse 18. Like whenever people have asked me, I've had people ask me, maybe not them specifically, but they're trying to deal with somebody that thinks it's okay to drink every now and then. These are the two verses that I always give them. Uh, Ephesians 5 and verse 18, he says, And do not be drunk with wine, in which is dissipation, but be filled with the Spirit. Now, again, you might have somebody argue, well, he says, don't be drunk. Well, if you do an in-depth study of the word drunk here, I think it is in one of the editions of Thayer's uh, dictionary. I can't remember exactly which one. But if you do a study of the word drunk, that actually means to not even begin the process of becoming drunk. Right. So 
if you have one beer, you have begun the process of being drunk. Whether you want to say I'm not really intoxicated or not, which first of all you are, uh, you might be saying like you were saying, I'm not past the legal limit. Well, that doesn't matter. You've started the process of becoming drunk, no matter what it is. Exactly. Even if you just had one sip, you know, that term one sip. Uh, oh, what, what, how does that phrase go? One sip is one sip drunk or something like yeah, that. I can't remember. Drunk. Yeah. And I think that's kind of like a very boiled down and simplified form of this argument, but it's true because this word means to not begin the process. If you've had a sip, you have started that process. You've given sin that inch and it's about to take that mile. Exactly. Uh, and you can go ahead. Did you have something? I, I was thinking that even the end of that verse gives so much benefit to it is don't exactly. be drunk with wine. Because one, there's so much more you can do with your time. You can study the word of God and have that word build you up and fill you up. But not only that, when you begin to get drunk, you lose all of your, uh, well, you begin to lose parts of your memory. Like one of the first things to go is the mind when you get drunk. I mean, that's just pretty much proven. I mean, what's to say after the first drink or two, you say, uh, that verse doesn't mean that I'm okay. And then you start getting more and more drunk. And then you forget that the Bible exists and you get more and more drunk. Like, where's the cutoff point? When right. really we can take the time to study this and to say, I'm staying away from all of it. So, yeah, yeah. that's that's one of the things that I think about. I think about it with modesty and I think about it with alcohol and things like that. If these things were simply just opinions, then as you mentioned, where's the cutoff? Where's the line? Who's to say what's right and what's wrong? If right. it's simply an opinion, then I could never tell anybody that they were drunk. Right. Because maybe, maybe to them they're not because that's not as drunk as they've ever been. Right. So there has to be a solid line and that solid line is don't take a sip. Don't start the process. Right. Um, but yeah. the other passage, oh, go ahead. Uh, before you go ahead and tell them so they can be turning their Bible there, if you don't mind. First uh, Peter, first Peter four, three. It's fine because you got two verses that I had in a line <laughs> for your main two verses, but you made a point that is very important. That I want us to think about for just a second. And I don't even realize if, I don't know if you realize that you made it. But you said you cannot tell someone that they're drunk because this might not be as drunk as they've been before. We cannot, as Christians, set a line of saying, okay, I need to stop doing this when we are further from God than we ever have been before. Because then, before we were Christians, we were far away from God. We can't just simply say, well, I've messed up a little bit, but I'm still fine because, you know, I was really far away from God before I was a Christian. So I'll wait a little bit more until I repent. That's effectively what we're doing drinking alcohol. We're saying, well, I'm not too far away from God. I'm not too far away from God until you are out on island by yourself. And, uh, yeah, I think that was a really good point that you made and a really good statement that was made, honestly, 
uh, go ahead with First uh, Peter four three, if you don't mind. Uh, but First Peter four three, he says, "For we have spent enough of our past lifetime in doing the will of the Gentiles, when we walk in lewdness, lust, drunkenness, revelries, drinking parties, and abominable idolatries." Here in this chapter, he's contrasting. This is how you used to live, but this is how you're supposed to live now. And he says, in times past. In the, our past lifetime, as he says at the beginning of verse 3, we lived and walked according to the Gentiles, a.k.a. we lived in sin. We did what everybody else was doing. We did not live a righteous life. And one of the things that he mentions there is drinking parties. I think in the King James it says banquetings. Yes, it does. Uh, but if you, look up, if you look up banquetings, it means drinking parties. If you look up drinking yeah. parties, it's like drinking bouts, whatever. It doesn't matter. It means the same thing. Right. If that's not social drinking, then I have no idea what is. Drinking parties. Do you think about drinking parties? The first thing that comes to my mind is a group of people that work in the same office going out, oh, hey, we're going to go to such and such place. We're all going to have a beer tonight. Mm -hmm. Why don't you come with us? Yeah. That's I'll, a drinking party. Yeah. I also think about like on movies and stuff when they have like their office Christmas party or something. Everyone's standing yeah. there in their yeah. nice clothes and having like a little glass of champagne or something. That right. is social drinking to a definition. Exactly. And so those are definitely the two verses because Ephesians 5 verse 18, he's saying don't even begin the process. But then First Peter 4 and verse 3, I mean, he, he specifically calls out social drinking and there's no way that we can get around that right and i have two more verses in first peter actually stressing the idea of being sober especially and now i want us to think first of all being sober has the mindset of uh not only not you know being drunk but also the idea of having your wits about you being serious being sharp Especially when we consider First Peter chapter five and verse eight, Peter says, "Be sober, be vigilant, be able to have your wits about you, be able to look around you, live and look circumspectly." Is a, a great way to think about being able to look around, because your adversary, the devil, as a roaring lion, walketh about seeking whom he may devour. I want to ask you a very serious question about drinking alcohol. Do you want to be drunk around a lion who is angry and hungry? I don't think anyone does because I don't. Because the last thing I want is to be devoured by a lion. But when we think about that, when we are willingly getting drunk, we have someone even worse than the, a lion walking about trying to get us away from God, and that's the devil. So we have to have, the sense, or have our senses about us so that we can say, that's a temptation, I'm going to stay away from that. That's a sin, I'm going to stay away from that. It's kind of like walking through a minefield with or without a blindfold on. You kind of want right. to see where everything's dug up and where someone has obviously placed a mine. Yeah, and and you talked about that. I actually thought about, like, if you were walking through the woods somewhere and you see a bear trap, would you willingly step in that? No, because you know that's going to break your leg. 
You know it's going to hurt you. You know it's going to cost you a lot. So you wouldn't put yourself in a situation where you could potentially harm yourself. Exactly. But then we do that with alcohol. Yeah. And we try to blur the line as much as we possibly can. It's like, yeah, I'm stepping in this trap, but, you know, who cares? Yeah. But I'm having fun. So, yeah, that's not the way it's supposed to be. Uh, the last verse in First Peter is First Peter chapter one and verse thirteen. Here, Peter uses two statements that I really appreciate. He says, "Wherefore gird up the loins of your mind, and be sober." Now, when we compare those two, uh, girding up the loins—that's not something that we really do today, because we don't wear robes. But that is a way of tying up your robes to go into battle, to be aware of everything so that you can have maximum range of mobility. Uh, One of my Facebook friends, I think it was Jake Sutton maybe, posted a picture of how to gird up your loins uh, a couple of days ago. And I just thought that was a a kind of really informative to me. It was neat how to do it. But that same mindset goes with being sober, be serious, be agile with your mind. Don't just, you know, let whatever's going to happen, happen, because that's just not going to work. Now, I have two, uh, really three quick fire verses. First Timothy chapter three and verse three, as well as uh, looking down at the deacon section in the same chapter, Paul tells Timothy the qualifications for deacons and elders. Uh, Verse 3 is the elders, that they are not to be drunk with wine, staying completely away from wine. And if that is to be the qualifying mark for an elder, I'll be honest, if it's good enough for an elder to live without wine, it's good enough for a Christian to live without wine. And uh, we'll have people all the time talking about, well, Paul also told Timothy, don't drink water for his stomach's sake, but drink a little bit of wine. I've talked to many doctors about this, and there is no benefit for alcoholic wine for your stomach, but grape juice. Grape juice does just the same thing without having the bad toxins from the wine enter into your bloodstream. Now, that's just a clarifying mark. If you don't believe me, talk to your doctor. No, uh, just throwing that one out there. And I will still stand behind God being the best doctor ever because he created us. He knows what's good and what's bad for us. And if it's in his inspired word for us to abstain from something, I'm going to trust him because, well, he's our creator. He's our God. Uh, he's our judge. And then finally, we're going to look at Titus chapter 2 and verses 2 and 4. It says that the aged men be sober, grave, temperate, sound in faith, in charity, and in patience. You see, when we think about that first one affecting the others, let's think about this. I mentioned earlier being sober in mind, being, you know, cognitive, being sharp. Once you get drunk, that starts going away. How many 
drunk people do you know that are serious? And I mean like serious, serious, like addressing serious situations seriously. How many of them uh, are just as calm as can be? How many of them are the nicest people you have ever met, are the most giving people you've ever met, or are patient? Or just themselves. Yeah, I mean, none of that really comes into play. So the being sober, like the mindset of having your senses about you, once you introduce alcohol, all the rest of those that the aged men are to be just go straight downhill. And then we look at verse 4, the aged women uh, in verse 3, continues in verse 4, that they may teach the young women to be sober, to love their husbands, and to love their children. Once again, how many horror stories have you heard of people coming home drunk and beating their families? It is terrible. And it is so sad how many times you hear that in the world today. And yet people go straight to the same thing that make their family do that. But you have to know when to say no. And it should be at the very beginning. It should be, hey, would you like a drink? No, I'm okay. I'll take a water. Hey, would you like a drink? No, I think I'll take a Dr. Pepper or something. Just stay away from it. In fact, uh, we could go back even uh, at first, uh, I believe it was first Peter chapter uh, four and verse three, uh, where Peter was talking about, and such were some of you, and you have been this. If you go down and look about three or four verses later, in fact, I can give you a exact number here in just a second. Um, you look at the next verse, wherein they think, that being the people that were mentioned above in verse 4, they may, uh, wherein they think it's strange that you run not with them to the same excess of riot, speaking evil of you. You can be called a loser, you can be called lame, you can be called, well, you changed. It doesn't matter because we have to give an account to God. Verse 5, who shall give account to him that is ready to judge the quick and the dead? You see, if God says, don't be drunk, I'm not going to be drunk. If God says any of that, we do not know what God's cutoff limit of being drunk is. We can know what man has deemed as drunk, but we don't know what God's qualification of drunk is. We don't have a verse in here saying, if your blood alcohol level is such and such, you are considered drunk in the eyes of God. It's not found. What is found is being not drunk. Now, we should stay as far away from that as we possibly can because of that reason. We don't know where God says enough is enough. So why even test it? Why even try and stick your toe in the water if God says that water's full of piranhas or that water's actually acid and your foot's gone now? I mean, we have to realize when to stay away from something that looks bad 
because chances are it is bad. Uh, do you have anything left to add to us? I think I've pretty much said everything that I was wanting to say. Yeah, I could just keep going, going rant because I mean, yeah, I think I think we've gone a lot longer this time than we have in the, the while. past few. Yeah, yeah, because yeah, we're at uh, forty-seven, forty-eight minutes, somewhere around there. I so, didn't even start a timer. I did, but I looked at it and we were twenty minutes through, and I was like, I still have a lot to say, so I don't really <laughs> care. Uh, so anyway, uh, I'm glad. If you're still here and you're still willing to listen to Ren and I, I'm glad you're here. Uh, you're brave. You know, yeah, you're brave. You've handled our berating of uh, the people who need it who probably aren't listening to it. Uh, but anyway, hopefully this will give you plenty of verses, plenty of material uh, to, uh, you know, stand up on your own two feet. Yeah. Say, and if you know of somebody that needs to hear it, send it to them. Yeah. If they have issues, they can get in touch with us. You can defer them to us. We would yep. be more than willing to talk to them. And I mean, the whole thing is we put at the very beginning of this episode what our contact information is. Yeah. So we're fine talking to anyone. Um, in fact, uh, we would love to talk to somebody. And so uh, I hope that this lesson has been beneficial. If you've struggled with drinking alcohol before, Hopefully, you can use this to say, now I know to completely stay away from it. If you've, you know, had troubles like this before, you know, maybe reach out to us if we got something wrong or if you have another point to add to it. You know, uh, Ren and I are the same. We're both young preachers. We're going to preach this lesson many times throughout our preaching life. If you have more ammo to add to it, please send it our way. Because I will be honest, uh, if we were preaching this sermon, I know, I know you and I both together, Ren. Uh, if we were preaching this on a Sunday morning, we would probably have one of the longest sermons we've had in a while. <laughs> so, um, uh, uh, thank you for being with us today. Remember that once we are concluding this podcast, in the sense of finishing this episode. This isn't just the end of our study. This shouldn't be the end of your study. We should take the time to continue studying throughout the week. Don't just let one podcast be the end of it. Keep studying God's Word. Keep looking for uh, things to study. In fact, uh, you know, we have, I don't even know how many podcasts we have or episodes we have now, but we have a good deal more. If you've heard them all, awesome. Go back and listen to them again. <laughs> I mean, uh, but anyway, we thank you for listening to us. Continue studying, continue encouraging and building up one another because that's what we as Christians are to do. And so I think that's all I've got. Ren, you good? All right. Well, I hope you have a great day and we will see you next week. <laughs>